you have a Bible this morning, I invite you to open it to Matthew chapter number 15. Uh, Matthew chapter number 15. We've been in a series for several weeks now talking about different encounters that Jesus had with people in the Gospels and how they left those encounters not the same. As you're turning uh, to Matthew chapter 15, I want to make you aware of a couple of things. One is by way of announcement. The other is context to what we're going to talk about this morning. So in case you haven't seen, this is the time of the year that we are beginning the process of electing next year's deacons. There'll be five deacons that rotate off. There'll be five deacons that are nominated and elected to fill those voids. When you walk out this morning in the lobby at the Welcome Center, there are some half sheets of paper there. The names on those pieces of paper are our nominees that you can elect as the next deacons for uh, 2023. They'll begin a three-year rotation, and you have the opportunity to uh, help us elect those. So here's what I would ask you to do. Uh, November the 20th is when we're planning to do our deacon election. You'll get more information about how you uh, are supposed to go about that. But for now, we would ask that you would grab one of those pieces of paper for your family and begin praying over that list of names that you see so that you can be asking God who he would like to fill the voids that will be left from the deacons who will be rotating off. So we would appreciate you being prayerful about uh, the deacons that will rotate on for next year. Also, that was just by way of announcement. I apologize. Uh, I want to give you a little context to Matthew 15 before we jump into a story that is extremely interesting, an encounter that Jesus has with a lady in Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 21. Now, as we get to this encounter, just before this text, what we discover is Jesus, once again, as he did many times in the Gospels, he has an interesting conversation with the Jews and specifically some of the Jewish leaders. In this context, he is once again rebuking them for something that they have gotten wrong for years and years and years. The context is this, the people who should be following Jesus, the people who should be welcoming him in as the Messiah, as the one sent from God to save his people, are the ones who in fact are pushing him out, the ones who in fact are wanting him gone, the ones who, by the way, have been misguiding people and have been messing it up from the beginning. As a matter of fact, in the chapter Matthew 15, verses 6 and 7, Jesus says this to that group of people. He says, so for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. And then he calls them something. He calls them, you hypocrites. This is the typical conversation that Jesus has with the Jewish leaders. This is not different than other occurrences that have happened before this, but what is interesting is right after he finishes this conversation with them, it says in verse 21 that he moves to a place called Tyre and Sidon. Now what's interesting about this particular location is that it's from ancient Phoenicia. It is an area in southern Lebanon on the eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Now here's all you really need to know about this place. These two cities were known for seafaring. They were known for commerce. They were known for colonization. They were great cities, but what they were known for by the Jews most of all was vile religion. 
As a matter of fact, Jesus makes a comment about them earlier in Matthew chapter 11. I won't read the conversation, but here's pretty much what he says. He looks at the Jews in his area and he says this, had I preached, had I done, had I worked the same way in cities like Tyre and Sidon, like I have here, they would have turned to me, they would have followed me, but you didn't. Essentially, here's what he says to them. It will be better for wicked cities like Tyre and Sidon than it will be for those that were supposed to be my own own people. And they say, Danny, why are you giving us this context? Here's why. There's an awesome shift that's beginning to happen in this chapter in Matthew 15. Jesus moves from the Jewish leaders, from the Jewish nation whom he came to witness to. He is moving from them because they have rejected him, and he is moving toward a Gentile world represented by this Canaanite woman that we will read about in Matthew 15. This woman represents the countless millions of Gentiles who now fill up the church of Jesus. Which, by the way, if you're wondering who those countless millions of Gentiles are, look around the room to the people next to you. You are them. He is, in this moment, beginning to show his heart for going after the broken, which he will, by the way, continue to do through you and me even today. As a matter of fact, let's pick up reading Matthew 15. I'm going to start in verse 21. Let's just read what happens with this lady. Here's what's recorded according to Matthew's gospel. Matthew 15, verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he, being Jesus, did not answer her a word. He was silent. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying after us. She's annoying us, Jesus. Make her stop. He answered, I was, only, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. In other words, I'm not taking that as an answer, Jesus. You are it. Lord, help me. And he answered once again, listen to this, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Ouch. She said, yes, Lord. Verse 27, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. God, we love you. Jesus, you are awesome. Thank you for your word. God, right now in these next few moments, will you fill this place with your power? We want to meet with you. God, this morning, speak to us so that we can respond so that we can live the way you desire us to live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now listen, I'm reading this story 
I'm reading this encounter, and all I can think about is the word desperate. It's all I can think about. Like, how desperate must this woman be to come from where she was to find Jesus to beg at his feet for him to do something for her family? I got to reading a little bit. I looked up the word desperate, and according to dictionary.com, the word desperate means having an urgent need or desire. As a matter of fact, I started looking up things that people typically do or people typically put in response to desperation. Here's some of the things I read about. I read about Russian roulette. People do that when they're desperate. I read about drug trafficking. People do that when they're desperate. I read about prostitution. I read about birthing someone else's child. I read about armed robbery, right? And you say, Danny, these things are extreme. I agree. That's the picture of desperation. People will do crazy things when they are desperate. As a matter of fact, you're, you may be sitting here this morning, and you may can think of a time when you were absolutely desperate, and you look back and think, why would I do the crazy thing that I did? And your response would be simple. I was desperate. Matter of fact, I read about some things that people were desperate for with money, and I couldn't share all the things that people did when they were desperate for money, but some of them were so silly that I wanted to share with you what they did. Someone wrote about a time that they allowed a medical researcher to inject them with salt water to record how much pain they felt and for how long, and they got paid for it because they were desperate for money. I read about a person who allowed another person to stab them in the hand with a fork in order to make $20. I don't know if that was a true story, but I read it on the internet, and as my Sunday school teacher said this morning, if it's on the internet, it must be true. Sorry, I won't tell you who my Sunday school teacher is. I totally threw Richie Kimbrew under the bus. Anyway, I read about a girl, this was a little weirder, I almost didn't share it, but I thought it was interesting. I read about a girl who claimed to make a fortune off of selling random pictures of her feet. As a matter of fact, she got bonus money if she changed her socks and painted her toenails. Not really sure what was happening there, but I thought it was that weird. I read about a dude who snorted wasabi, and in his response, he said it wasn't worth the $2 he made. He said, Danny, why are you telling us about these crazy moments? Here's why. People are willing to do anything when they're desperate for something. Now listen, I kept thinking about this, desperate, desperate. Why are people willing to do anything when they're desperate? And ultimately, this is the conclusion that I came to. People are willing to do anything when they're desperate because there's nothing else they can do and nowhere else they can turn. That's my conclusion. Nothing else they can do and nowhere else they can turn. And then I thought about Matthew 15 and this encounter that this woman was having with Jesus. And here's what I thought. This is exactly the way that I think our relationship with Jesus should be. Are we this kind of desperate every day for Jesus knowing that we can't do anything in this life apart from him? knowing that we don't deserve him, that we're not warranted anything, that he doesn't owe me anything, knowing that because of all those things and I can't live this life without him, am I that kind of desperate for Jesus daily? Because can I tell you something? 
this lady was. And I thought to myself, I put this question down for me. This is, this is just for Danny. This is probably not for you, but this is the question I put. Am I this type of desperate for Jesus? And as I read through this encounter, here's what I discovered. I discovered a couple of truths about her picture of desperation for Jesus that honestly, the more I've thought about has changed the way that I've thought about my own relationship with Jesus. Let me share a couple of those truths with you this morning. Here's the first one. When we're desperate for Jesus, crying out to him is the only option we have. That's it. Crying out to Jesus is the only option only option. Look back at verse 21. It says, and Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. And I thought to myself, what is she doing? She is so desperate that she knows Crying out to Jesus is the only option that she has. Now, I want to I show you a couple things that I thought was interesting. Let's talk about the location. It says that Jesus withdrew from there. The word withdrew, as you know, means to get away. Now, you say, Danny, why is Jesus trying to get away? Well, think about this. He's healed people. He's cast out demons. He spoke with authority. Literally, Jesus has been about the business of changing people's lives. But do you know the response that he's getting from most of his own people, even though he's changing people's lives, even though he's healing people, even though he's doing things that nobody else has ever seen before? The response from his own people, he, the only experience that he knew from them was rejection. You say, Danny, why would Jesus want to withdraw from his own people? I don't know about you, friends, but I can also only take rejection for so long until, listen, I don't want to be around those people anymore either. You with me? Jesus has been rejected so much, he wants nothing else to do with them. Listen, who wouldn't want to be around Jesus? Who wouldn't want to be around the Savior of the world? Jesus wanted to pour out his grace on the people of Israel, but they rejected him time and time and time again. And I thought this, I wonder how often God waited on the nation of Israel to be this kind of desperate for him. Think about it. Listen, he did works after works after works. They still were never desperate for him like this woman that we encounter in Matthew chapter 15. And here's what I thought about. Jesus knew all these things were going to take place. He knew all about the religious leaders, all about the Jewish people that would reject him. He knew from Matthew chapter 1 to the middle of Matthew chapter 15 that that is what he would experience. But he knew that in Matthew chapter 15, there would be a woman in some of the darkest places of the world that was desperate for him. And here's all I could think about. How quick did Jesus want to get through chapters 1 through 15 so that he could finally find somebody who was desperate for him? And I got to thinking, I pray, Lord, that I never become 
like the religious leaders who were so self-righteous thinking they had no need for Jesus. I pray that I never get to a point where Jesus longs for someone else to approach him rather than me. You say, Danny, why is this such a big deal? Because he turns his attention to some different cities by the name of Tyre and Sidon. This is the location that we find. I don't know who in the room uh, this morning needs to hear this, but can I tell you something? It doesn't matter where you come from. We all need Jesus. Now, maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, but Danny, Jesus is for uh, uh, people in a Christian home. Danny, Jesus is for people who are wealthy. Jesus is for people who make good decisions. Jesus is for people who live on the right side of the street. He's not for people like me. Well, listen, we've already noted that Tyre and Sidon is not the best place in the world. Jesus isn't going to the people who think they have it all together. He already went to those people and they rejected him. You know where Jesus is turning to? He withdrew from that group so that he could go to another place and find the broken people who are desperate for him. And I just kept thinking, how many people might be in the room this morning who've been in a location? Maybe you would say this, Danny, I'm not where I need to be. And I thought to myself, if your location is not where you need to be, then can I tell you something? You're in good company in this room this morning. Because Jesus encounters a woman who, by the way, is not where she needs to be. But can I tell you something? Jesus goes to her in her brokenness. He's not looking for the person who thinks they're perfect. He's looking for those who are in need of a doctor. He said this in Mark 2, 17. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to me. I'm fascinated that Jesus would go to a dark place like Tyre and Sidon, a place where people didn't worship God or want anything to do with him. Yet he leaves those who should have been worshiping him to go to places where darkness ruled and found people there who were desperate for him. Who do we know that lives in darkness? Who is in this room that lives in darkness that we may think doesn't want Jesus, but he wants to go to them because he loves them? Where are you? this morning. Desperation doesn't depend on location. Let's talk about something else, though. I want to talk about not just the location. I want to talk about the association. He encounters a Canaanite woman. That's what's said in verse 22. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out to Jesus. Now, there's a couple of interesting things that, are, that we find about this particular lady. Number one, she is a lady. She's a woman. We know that from our biblical traditions that Jewish males did not associate with women, much less a woman from another area. Also, she is a Gentile. If we read John chapter 4, we find another account of Jesus with a woman. It says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? We discover two things from this passage that we also find that's interesting about this Canaanite woman. Number one, a Jewish male wouldn't speak with a woman. Number two, a Jewish male wouldn't speak with a Gentile man or woman. Now, what's also interesting is that she's not just a woman or a Gentile, but specifically the type of Gentile she is, is a Canaanite. Now you say, Danny, why is this strange? Well, it's strange for a couple of reasons. If you know anything about Old Testament history, you know that when Joshua and the people of Israel are going to take the promised land, the first group of people that they are supposed to take out are 
the Canaanites. This woman is traditionally a great enemy of Jesus' own people. But what's even more interesting is that being a Canaanite would mean that she's from a religion of pagan beliefs and Satan worship. In other words, here's here's the greater context. She's put a lot of other things before God. She's lived her life consumed with everything other than worshiping Jesus. Now hear me, friends. You might be in the room this morning, and you might be from the other side of the street, and you don't think you're worthy or valuable or that Jesus can love you. Listen, he goes to the darkest places to find broken people. You might be in here this morning, and you might say, Danny, I got a lot of issues. You don't understand the baggage that I'm bringing with me. You don't understand where I came from. You don't understand who I was raised by. You don't understand the decisions that I've made. You don't understand all the things over all these years that I've put before God. Can I tell you something, friends? This lady is that exact description. You are in good company because Jesus goes to find the broken. Desperation isn't dependent upon location, nor is it dependent on association. Can I show you one more though? Let's talk about the situation. She's crying out to Jesus, this Canaanite woman. Here's what she's saying to him. Verse 22, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now apparently the fame of Jesus has reached this mother. Maybe she's heard of the rumors that Jesus was the promised Messiah of the Jewish people. Maybe this is why she refers to him as the son of David. As a matter of fact, in 1 Kings chapter 5, you will discover that the king of Tyre loved David. It was common knowledge how great of a king David was. They understood what was coming. If this guy is the son of David, then he can do things that nobody else could do. Certainly, she had heard of the wonderful miracles that Jesus had performed as she meets him in need of a miracle of her own, and she comes to him asking for mercy. Now, you say, Danny, why is this so significant? Here's why, friends. This is all that any of us can come to Jesus asking for right? He doesn't owe us anything, and we certainly haven't earned anything from him. All we can do is appeal to his incomparable mercy. She's looking for mercy. Why? Because her daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now you say, Danny, is there another way to be oppressed by a demon? I don't know. I would assume all oppression by a demon is severely, but here's what I know. It said it is severely. Now you say, why is that significant? Because this lady has a problem that she can't fix. Nobody else can fix. She's tried her gods over there in the Canaanite religion. She's tried Satan worship and done everything she could. Every ritual out there she has poured out upon her daughter. You say, Danny, how do you know that? Because she's desperate. I know mamas, and when their babies hurt, they will do whatever it takes to fix it. She's tried everything she could try. You know what she's done now? She's saying, I know none of that stuff worked before. I know nothing from my tradition. None of that ever worked. Jesus, here I am. 
I got nothing else. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. I got a problem and issues that nobody else can fix. Listen to me, friends. You probably don't have a demon-oppressed daughter in the room. At least I pray you don't, okay? You probably haven't experienced a whole lot of demonic activity lately in your life. But do you know what I know about you and I know about me? We all got problems that we can't handle on our own. You fill in the blank. We got issues that we've tried to fix. We've asked everybody else to help with. We may have paid countless dollars to get it healed and nothing has happened. Friends, listen to me. Are you desperate for Jesus? Here's what I know. It's a beautiful place to be in when we get to a point where we realize that we're so desperate for Jesus that crying out to him is the only option that we have. Can I let you in on a secret? Jesus has a love for us that won't let us go. We need a faith for him that won't let him go. You with me? You say, Danny, what do you mean? Crying out to him is the only option. Let me show you the second thing. When we're desperate for Jesus, here's what she shows us. Considering nothing else is obvious. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Look at verse 23 again. But he did not answer her a word. Why would Jesus do nothing? Why would he not even speak to this woman? In this moment, he is silent. You say, Danny, what should we do when Jesus is silent? Can I tell you something, friends? Considering nothing else is the only thing you can do. You say, Danny, I've been crying out to Jesus. He hadn't said anything. Keep crying out to Jesus. You say, Danny, I've been asking and God hasn't shown me anything. Keep crying out to Jesus. You say, Danny, but I've been doing it for years. He's still silent. You tell me what other option you have. You don't because considering nothing else is obvious. You say, Danny, what do I do when I feel like everybody else is telling me to go away? Can I tell you what you do, friends? Considering nothing else is obvious. You said, but his disciples are telling her, send her away. She's crying out after us. Everybody else is telling her for a different option to go a different way. I got all these other people saying there's other things I can do. Can I tell you something, friends? Considering nothing else is obvious. You don't have anywhere else to go. He's where you have to go. Are you desperate for Jesus? I read something about this passage that I thought was interesting because at first glance, it seems like Jesus is ignoring her, therefore he's rejecting her. But watch this. Jesus did nothing unloving and nothing without divine purpose. He had enough of superficiality and shallowness of the pretended faith of those who selfishly got what they wanted from him and then left. In other words, Jesus is tired of people saying, dance for me, puppet. I'm tired of doing these little signs and wonders for you that don't mean anything. But more than that, listen to this. He wanted to test the woman's faith to bring it to full flower. He put up the barriers not to keep her away. He put up the barriers to draw her closer. He also used the occasion to show the disciples the value of persistent faith and to help them distinguish between the genuine and the superficial. You say, Danny, how does he do that? Look at verse 24. 
He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You say, Danny, I've gotten responses from God, or I've, 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 I've seen things or read things, and I'm going to be honest, I really don't understand what to do next. What should I do? Well, let me tell you what you shouldn't do. You shouldn't consider any other options because he's all you got. It seems like he's telling her she's not worthy, she's not good enough, she's an outsider with no claim to the family name. And although that's true, let me tell you what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1 verse 16. Here's what he wrote. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Greek. Here's what I know. Could it be that Jesus just wanted to see how far this woman would go to have him? Could it be that there are times when Jesus wants to test your faith and my faith just to see how far we are willing to go for him? Now watch this, verse 25. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. You know what I discovered about this lady? Here's what she knew. Considering nothing else is obvious. It didn't matter what was going to be said. It didn't matter if nothing was said. It didn't matter if the disciples told her to go away. Here's what she knew. Even when everything else seemed to be pointing another way, considering nothing else is obvious. As a matter of fact, you say, Danny, how do you know it? Because she first came to Jesus. She was crying out. Jesus was silent. She didn't get the answer she was looking for. She didn't quite understand what to do next. So what does she do? She keeps coming. And this time, it wasn't with a cry. This time, she knelt before him. Watch this. Please don't miss it. Her mode went from making a request of Jesus to full out worship of the king of kings. You say, Danny, had Jesus just healed her daughter, would she have knelt down and began to worship him? I don't think so. You know what Jesus knew? He was tired of superficial faith. He was going to push her to her limits to see if she was really desperate for him. And in that moment, what does she do? She kneels down on her face before Jesus, before God. And she says, Lord, help me. She's got no other plea. She's got no other place. She's got no other people. She's got no other plan. Listen, friends, this is it. She knows all she has, all she needs is Jesus. Man, how many times do we consider any other way besides him? How often do we consider how we can fix it on our own, how we can figure it out another way? How often do we consider anything besides Jesus when this lady teaches us a very, very important truth? Considering nothing else is obvious. Can I let you in on a secret? Jesus has a love for us that won't let us go. We need a faith for him that won't let him go. Are you desperate for Jesus? Listen, when we're desperate for Jesus, crying out to him is the only option. When we're desperate for Jesus, considering nothing else is obvious. Let me show you this last one. When we're desperate for Jesus, I love this, watch it. Crumbs are the desired outcome. Crumbs are the desired outcome. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Jesus gets a little bit harsher, it seems. Look at verse 26. 
And he answered, here she is, she's kneeling down, she's worshiping Jesus. We think, man, this is it, this is the big moment. Jesus is about to bless her, he's about to change her life, everything's about to get easy, it's about to be great. No, 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 he answered her and he said, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Wow! Like in this moment, I'm just reading this how I would read this and I think this is harsh. He literally calls her a dog. Now listen, in the Greek, there are two descriptions of a dog. One's a vicious mongrel with like rabies that just feeds off of garbage and dead animals. The other word for dog is a house pet. Now here's the good news. At least he calls her the house pet dog. Certainly sounds as if Jesus is saying that God only cares and loves the Jews. But can I show you something? I won't read it all to you, but I want to show you. I just want to remind you of something. This is not the only time that Jesus made a hard statement to see if people were willing to chase after him. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 6, Jesus says these words, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drinks, and whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, abides in me and I in him. And people are going, what? This is cannibalism. I'll do a lot of things for you, Jesus, but I'm not gonna eat your flesh and I'm not gonna drink your blood. And listen, people were unwilling. They didn't understand what he was saying and they were unwilling to follow his teachings. And here's what happens. It says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus says to the 12, his followers, do you want to go away as well? Jesus knew, listen, this would be hard to accept. He knew when he said this to this woman, this would be a hard statement to accept. But I love the way that Peter responds to this moment. This is what he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Can I show you something, friends? This is exactly where this woman is. She knows there is nowhere else to go, and she is desperate for Jesus to do what only he can do. So look at this, verse 27. I love her statement back to Jesus. Is this not beautiful? She says, yes, Lord. In other words, I know that I'm just a dog. But she goes, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Friend, what was she saying? The crumbs are the desired outcome. Here's what she's saying. She's going, Jesus, I'm willing to take the scraps. Why? Because even the scraps from Jesus's table are better than the best from anybody else's. I wonder how many of us in this room are willing to seek after the crumbs. I wonder how many of us are desperate enough to sit at the feet of Jesus and patiently wait for what falls from above and says, okay, God, here I am. I will not leave. I will continue to wait. I will persist. I am desperate for what only you can do. I will go nowhere else. As a matter of fact, the prophet Jeremiah puts it like this. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Hey friends, how many of us are seeking him with all of our hearts? My Sunday school class this morning, we had an interesting discussion about how much we give to Jesus. It was represented as a pie. 
Imagine your day in a pie. How much of that pie goes to you? I don't know how to do it from y'all's perspective. And then what little sliver of it might sometimes go to Jesus? Hey, friends, what if we turn that around? What if we were like this woman who came from I don't know where, traveled I don't know how far, fell at the feet of Jesus even after being told what she was told, even after everybody else said go away, and here she is persisting, seeking Jesus like no one else. Look at verse 28. Here's how it ends. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Listen, it's so awesome to see what Jesus does. He longs to help those who are desperate for him, those who would be unwilling to walk away no matter what happens because there is nowhere else, there is no one else to go to. Can I let you in on a secret, friends? Listen to me. Jesus has a love for us that won't let us go. We need a faith for him that won't let him go. Are you desperate for Jesus? One of my favorite songs over the years has been by a band called Starfield. You may know them, listen to some of their songs, maybe not. They had a popular song several years back titled Rain in Us. Here was a piece of that song that has always resonated in my heart, even when I didn't know it was resonating. Listen to these words. Lord Jesus, come lead us. We're desperate for your touch. O great and mighty one, with one desire we come, that you would reign, that you would reign in us. Listen to this. We're offering up our lives a living sacrifice, that you would reign, that you would reign in us. Can I ask you a couple of questions this morning? How desperate are you for Jesus? Because here's what I know, listen, we find ourselves in all kinds of scenarios in this encounter. Some of us in this room, they're like the Pharisees, right? They're like the religious leaders in this moment. And here's what we know. We think we've got it all together. We think we've got all the answers. Can I tell you something? Have you ever tried to pour something into a vessel that was closed? What happens when you do that? It just makes a mess, right? But what happens when you open the lid or you break it open and then you pour something in? Goes inside, right? Okay, tell you something, Jesus is looking for people who are broken, why? Because he can only pour out his grace into people who are already open for him. Don't be a Pharisee, don't be like the Jews who rejected, because listen, Jesus will withdraw. He will go somewhere else. Stop playing games. Are you desperate for Jesus? Listen, are you like one of these disciples? You're like, Jesus, this is annoying. I don't want this. Send her away. She's not good enough. Who cares? Are you like the disciples who it's not that you're not necessarily broken open so that he can pour his grace in, but you don't care if anybody else is? I don't want to help those out there. I don't want to love on my neighbor. I don't like that person, so I'm not going to help them. Disciples are always doing stupid things, aren't they? Can I tell you something? I don't want to be like the Pharisees. Can I tell you something else? In this part of the story, I don't want to be like the disciples either. Hey, I wonder if you're here this morning and you're like this woman. You say, Danny, I'm, <laughs> I'm not where I need to be. Danny, I got some problems that I can't fix. 
Danny, I got situations that I don't know how to face. And listen, if you were to look at who I've been hanging out with and what I've been doing, if you look at my past, hey, listen, there's some bad stuff there. Can I tell you something, friend? Crying out to Jesus is your only option. Listen, I wonder if there's some people in here who are like that woman. And you think, Danny, I've tried everything else. I've tried to make it on my own. I've tried to fix my own problems. I've tried to be something that I'm not. Can I tell you something? Considering nothing else is obvious. He's it. Stop running to something else. You need Jesus as much as I need Jesus. Now you say, Danny, I'm a Christian. I've already given my life to Jesus. Can I tell you something, friends? As a follower of Jesus, you need him more now than you needed him then. You can't live the Christian life if you're not desperate for Jesus every single day. Man, who in this room needs to be broken so that Jesus can pour his life in? Can I ask you something else? Listen to me, friends. Do you desire the crumbs? Are you in this room this morning? You say, Danny, Jesus didn't give me what I wanted. He didn't do for me what I thought he should do. He didn't act the way I wanted him to act. People didn't do this. What about me, 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 me? Is that you, friend? Because if it is, let me tell you something. You need to be broken to the point where you're desperate enough to say, Jesus, your crumbs are more than I could ever ask for. (laughs) Who here today is longing for the crumbs from Jesus' table? Can I tell you something? He wants to give you more than crumbs. Will you respond to him? Father, we love you. Thank you. Praise you, Jesus. You're